Amen. Hey, good morning, y'all. <clears throat> My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of the pastors on our staff at Church on the Trail. I'm super thankful that uh, that y'all are here. God's got you here, I believe, for a reason. Today's going to be a little different kind of message, message-wise. Going to be a little different kind of day, and you'll find that out uh, in a minute. I do, though. I want to mention something that's going to happen next week and the week after um, that Autumn did not talk about. We're going to have our rally days next uh, Sunday and the Sunday after, which is where really every way to connect in our, in our, within our church family will be represented in the hall out there. Little tables, and there'll be life groups, growth groups, the different ministries will be there, the different places that you can serve in the church. Really, because people ask all, you know, how do I, if, if, if you just are visiting for the first time or the second or the third or the fourth time, and you don't really know how to connect now on this on the other side of that wall there's some big square postery looking things and that is the different ministries in the church but we're going to it's it's going to be a special time next week and the week after where there'll be people out there to discuss the different ways to plug in and the different ways to connect within our church so look forward to that next week um, and and the week after and we did, Autumn did mention this to you about the baby bottle boomerang, which is really fun to say that kind of fast. Um, but, but, but that will culminate next week on Father's Day. And so I do want to remind everybody again that, that to bring those baby bottles back and don't be bringing them back up in here empty. You know, and cash will go in there too. It doesn't have to just be change. You know, you can fill it up with $100 bills and we'll give all of that to the... Uh, to Sound Choices, which is an incredible ministry in Columbus. So I just want to remind you of that. So, y'all, last week we we started a new series in a, in a journey that we're taking through the book of Acts, through Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. And we're, <clears throat> today we're in, we're in Acts chapter 2. We started that last week, but the series is called Birth, and we you kind of figured out a little bit of the way that that name came about last week, and that'll build over the next couple of weeks. But last week, we looked at the first three and a half verses, and I, you probably hadn't heard a pastor say we're going to preach through 3.5 verses, but, but that's what we did, and we're kind of starting today in, in, in verse the middle of verse 4, which would be three and a half verses in. But last week, we came away with two or three, there were two or three takeaways, probably, uh, from last week's message, and if you remember, it's the coming of the, <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit, and so... Takeaway number one was this, that when a man or a woman comes to faith, when a man or a woman at the end of the day says yes to, to, the, to the offer the Lord makes, to the salvation offer that the Lord makes, then when that happens, he or she personally experiences the coming of the Holy Spirit in their life. It's a personal, individual thing. You feel that. You experience the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Number two when this happens, when, when a person, uh, a man or woman says yes to the offer that the Lord makes, he, he or she is positioned into the body of Christ. He, he or she is placed into the body of Christ, into the church. When I say the body of Christ, we're talking about uh, when somebody says yes, they are placed into God's church. And you don't really, you don't feel that, you don't experience that. That is a, I, last week I think I used the term judicial. That's a judicial action that takes place in heaven, do I sound real bassy, or is that just me hearing this? Okay. Um, so you're so when you're saved, you're placed into His church. You're positioned into His church. Number three is this: 
we are, as believers, we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Continually filled. It's in, all throughout the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 5, we are to be, to be continually filled. And so today, that was last week. Today, like I said, we're going to be starting halfway through verse 4. So verse 3 and a half through verse 13. Let me, it'll be up on the screen and it's in your worship guide. If you don't have a worship guide, if you'll raise your hand, we'll get one to you. But starting, uh, I'm going to go back to the beginning of verse 4. The Bible says, they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. So that's where we stopped. Is that me or y'all hearing all of that crazy? Okay, okay. Uh, the Ruach HaKodesh is the Holy Spirit, and that's where we stopped last week at that point in verse 4 with the Holy Spirit filling them, the Holy Spirit coming upon them, the Holy Spirit descending on them, the Holy Spirit falling on them. The Bible uses, remember, and I, I really, I, wanna, I said this kind of adamantly last week, I want to say it again. I don't want us to get all wrapped up, and, and I know you're not going to argue, but, but fussing and disagreeing on whether filling and coming upon and falling upon and resting upon, whether those are all different, have different meanings in, in Scripture in the sense, no, when you are saved, whatever the word is, the Holy Spirit lands on you and fills you up. And so that's that beginning of verse 4. And then the Bible says, and began the people and began to talk in different languages. They began to talk in different languages as, does that sound, does that sound like what I'm doing? Okay. And began, to, they began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5 says, now they were staying in Jerusalem, that's Jerusalem, religious Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, what sound was that? That was the sound like the wind. It was the tornadic sound. Is that a word? Somebody tell me, is tornadic a word? It was that sound. It was the sound of a hurricane. It was a loud sound. And so that's what they heard. When they heard that sound, a crowd gathered. And they were confused because each one heard the believers speaking in his own language. Totally amazed, they asked, how is this possible? Aren't all these people who are speaking from the Galil, that's the the area around the Sea of Galilee. Remember I said, I think, last week or the week before last, that was, that was them people that lived up in the sticks. That's the way they, like, how could this be happening with them rednecks living up there around the Sea of Galilee? That's the way they viewed them. Verse 8, how is it that we hear them speaking in our native languages? We are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Yehuda, that's Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, Jews by birth and proselytes. A proselyte is someone who was born Gentile but became Jewish. So they're Jews by birth and proselytes, Jews from Crete and from Arabia. How is it, it's the third time that this is said, how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages? Not just speaking in our own languages, but about something about the great things God has done. Verse 12, amazed and confused, they all went on asking each other, what can this mean? But others made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. So y'all, you have people from all over the place. They were in town for Pentecost. <clears throat> Many of them had been in town for Passover six or seven weeks before, but now they're in town for Pentecost. And we said Pentecost was this 
feast of the harvest of the first fruits. And so they're there and, and you had this, these 120 people because that's this group that he's talking about at this moment. These 120 people began to speak in, in, in foreign languages, in other languages, in other languages other than, other than their own, okay? And this is often also a point of disagreement between believers, what does it mean? These Some of your translations say tongues. They spoke in other tongues. Uh, th this translation and most say they spoke in other languages or they spoke in foreign languages. Well, what does Luke mean here when he writes this? What does he mean? Well, here's a shocker. He means exactly what he says. He means exactly what he says. This is very black and white. It means that they spoke in foreign languages. It means that they spoke in languages that were other than their own native tongue. It's, a, it's, it's black and white. The disciples at this moment, they are witnessing and they're, and they're speaking in the languages of the different nationalities that are gathered together there. Scripture is so clear about that that if you... If, if you try to change that, there's absolutely no reasonable doubt about what Luke is saying without twisting the word of God. They spoke in foreign languages. They spoke in other languages. Um, and I, now I will say this. The Bible says that they began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. As the Spirit enabled them to speak. The Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak, they spoke and if you use, want to use the word tongues, that's fine, as the Spirit enabled them to speak. Now, this event at Pentecost that's happening right now at Pentecost, that is different than the gift of tongues. And this is what people want to fuss about. It's different than the gift of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Because here in Acts chapter 2, there's no interpretation needed. Well, why is there no interpretation needed? Because what does the Bible say? It says they heard it. They spoke it in different languages, and the people, look at verse 6. Each one heard the believers speaking in his own language. Verse 8 says, how is this that we hear them speaking in our native languages? In verse 11, they ask, how is it that we hear them speaking in our own languages about the great things that God has done? This is different. This is not speaking in tongues, y'all. This is an, a one-time one event at the birth of the church. It is God performing a miracle at the birth of the church. And these people, they're blown away by what is happening. And it's all about the great things that God has done. We hear them speaking about what? About the great things that God has done. The important fact to remember about this first miracle, this first sort of language miracle, is the purpose of it. What is the purpose of it? It's to get the message of Christ to the world. Y'all, when we read this in Acts chapter 1 and 2, this is the birth of God's church. That is a big deal. He moved and shaked and he moved and shook and he, and he moved things around and he did things because the message of Christ getting out to the world. Think about the end of Matthew chapter 28, the end of the gospel of Matthew and what Jesus says, the Great Commission. Think about the very beginning of, of Acts in chapter 1. Um, that, that we are to be witnesses, his witnesses in, in Jerusalem and in Judah and Judea and, and all to the uttermost parts of the world. All of this is the birth of his church. And so this, this miracle, because you had all these people there from all over the place, 
they needed to go off back to wherever they came from and they needed to understand the message of Christ. And so God did something miraculous and, and the guys, the 120 folks, they spoke in those languages and the people heard them in that language. This is all about Jesus. This is all about the gospel. And so we're seeing the birth of, of gospel witnessing. We're seeing the birth of Jesus-centric witnessing. The great things that God's done, that's what Luke is writing about there. And so what, what, what is going on, this witnessing that has first taken place, is pointing to God's handling of the sin problem that human beings have once and for all. It's pointing to that. When we talk about the gospel, it's pointing. The gospel is God's taking care of the sin problem that men and women have. And how did he do that? He took care of it through the sacrificial crucifixion of his son. And then the subsequent raising of his completely dead son, the raising of him to life, and that he walked out of that grave alive. This is the birth of a new era. It is, it is the era of gospel-centered witnessing. And so this gathering of nations that's taken place at Pentecost, it is a perfect, perfect platform for launching the mission of the church. For launching, that, that was all teed up. God teed it all up perfectly to launch the worldwide mission of his church. Now, so we, we have begun to see and we'll continue to see that, that Luke's record of the birth of the church and, and the early years of the church throughout the, the book of Acts, that it is mind-boggling. Some Christians read about these supernatural events like the foreign languages here in Acts chapter 2. And they wonder, why does God not, why does he not still do that? Why does he not still do miracles like that? Why, why doesn't that happen anymore? I'm going to say this, sometimes in our, the word obsession, in our obsession and our desire to see what we would define as a miracle or a sign and a wonder, sometimes, maybe even often, we miss the forest for the trees, y'all. We, 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 we miss the, we forget about the greatest miracle ever. The great, and we, they were singing about that just a minute ago. The greatest miracle ever is the miracle of a changed life. It is the miracle of a changed life. So many times through scripture, Paul writes uh, about being a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. The miracle of a changed life is the greatest miracle ever. If you, when an abusive father, you just think about this, an abusive father who is genuinely transformed into a gentle, compassionate man, is that any less Wonderful than seeing somebody who is crippled stand up and walk? No. You know, which is impressive more long term? The sound of this rushing wind that happened once at Pentecost? Or a crazy self-centered uh, woman who is transformed into a compassionate servant who serves Christ for the rest of her life? Y'all do not downplay the role, the, the significance of Jesus changing human lives. And we get to witness that stuff. You know, when we say somebody is saved, like that's a big deal. It is a big deal. And you see, I've just heard people say it so many times, they look different. Like, it doesn't mean all of a sudden, they said that to me, which didn't mean he looks like Matthew McConaughey now. That's not what that, that's not what that meant. 
It was this countenance. Like the, you know that word countenance? It's like the countenance on his face is different or the countenance on her face is different. They're different. Well, what's different about you? Well, Jesus changes everything. And so don't, don't get all fanatical and crazy and obsessed about, you know, walking outside God, I'm going to need for you to show me. If you're really there, I'm going to need for you to pull that tree up out of the ground and throw it across the street. No, I'm going to need for you to... to um, well, my left leg is shorter than my right leg. I'm going to need for you to lengthen them out and make them both the same size so that then I'll believe. No, we, there are walking, talking miracles in all of our lives, in, in friends or in family or sons or daughters or mamas or daddies. When a heart changes, when a heart changes, it is the most amazing miracle ever. It is. Amen. Somebody said amen. Thank you. So... With that said, I've asked a few people to, to uh, and this is what's going to be a little different about today, I asked a few people in our church family to share some stuff with us, and so I'm going to ask two of them to come up now. One of them, we, I had to video yesterday because Jonathan Carastory, he had to, uh, ultimately had to work today, found out Thursday or Friday that he had to work today, but I want, we're going to share his story um, with y'all via video, and then we're going to talk to a couple other folks. I want y'all to come up, and you can hit that video now. miracle of a changed life, the greatest miracle ever that we talked about just a minute ago. Um, I want y'all to, if you don't know Jonathan, this is Jonathan Carastory, uh, part of our church family, he's a leader in our student ministry, you know, and I just want to talk to him, uh, the first one, we're going to have a couple of more people up here on the stage as well, but Jonathan being the first one, I just kind of want to ask you, I guess first of all, give us a little bit of a backstory. in other words, what was your life like? Jonathan is a Christian, so I'm going to ask him this question. What was your life like before you became a Christian, before Christ? Yeah, for sure. So um, I would say that I was someone who always believed in God. I grew up in a family who also believed in God. Um, however, I, I definitely didn't have that relationship with him, and I, I knew that something was missing um, the entire time until I finally surrendered my life to Christ. But I was always someone who would wear the bands that I'm wearing today or, or the cross necklaces and stuff, but it's almost like I had these scales over my eyes or over my, over my heart um, until I actually realized that it's not just a belief in God, but, but it's a relationship. But until then, um, I, I didn't have any passion to really go to church. When I had to, it felt like a job. Um, I didn't really feel like talking uh, about church. However, if I was playing a sports game or anything like that, I would be praying to what I perceived at the time to be this genie God, um, but it was only for my benefit. So you could just rub the bottle and, and when you needed him, he'd come out. Right, and if I had a good game, it was good job, Jonathan, but if I didn't, you know, then I'm asking why, why, but um, really, I guess I would, I would say that there was a lot of confusion, there was a lot of putting my identity in, in other things. Um, However, I did have a belief in God, but that's where I would have stopped. Stopped it right there. Mm -hmm. So what was your, what do you feel like your, uh, your identity was in? Oh, um, identity was definitely in sports growing up. Um, and really, even now, I'm always someone who wants to, to be desired and loved by all people, like I, I guess we all are. Um, but because everything that I built my life upon was only sports. I placed my sole identity in there. 
and that became very toxic because in sports, failure is inevitable. So whenever I would play and fail at times, um, I would feel like a failure and really go into these deep cycles of, of depression. And it actually got to the point to where I signed to go play for the number two offense in college, um, putting up 600 yards a game and never showed up because I knew I couldn't handle the pressure. Um, and that's strictly because I identified myself as Jonathan the athlete, and that was the end-all, be-all in that. Yeah, so identity is definitely an issue in most people's life. Um, you know, you told me a story one time about, I don't know, it was a long touchdown or something, and you did something on the way down the sideline <laughs> in your helmet. Tell them that little story. Yeah, so I, it would be it would get to the point to where I would have to take Tums before games because I would literally be – crippling anxiety that I would have and the performance expectations that I placed on myself to where, hey, if you don't have a good game right here, you're going to go back to that kid in elementary school that was bullied that nobody cares about because only people care about you as an athlete to where I would, you know, vomit before games and um, got to the point where we were playing a team that I knew that we had to beat and I was so nervous the whole time vomiting on the sidelines before kickoff and, um, was trying to hold hold it in throughout the game and was luckily able to run a 79-yard touchdown. And it's like I was able to release everything, as nasty as that sounds, <laughs> as I was running. Um, um, you know, it's something I'll never forget. Um, but uh, on a serious note, I knew that there's something going on here. There's an issue that, that you're battling with, but I really kept uh, yeah. it to myself and didn't want to open up to it because I thought that I needed to be strong in this and that, like, you're supposed to be this athlete that everybody knows and I kept it all in and it was very very toxic on my life lots of depression that came along with it Roger alright so Jonathan that's a little bit of the <clears throat> of the backstory um, of growing up I guess a little bit tell me about how it came to be that you ultimately repented of your sin and, and got saved the Lord saved you yeah for sure so um, I think I said that I turned down my scholarship opportunity even though I signed. I just knew that I put so much pressure on myself that if I couldn't handle the high school level, how am I going to handle the number two offense in college? Um, so I, instead of filling the void with God because I didn't know at the time, I continued to try to, to fill that temporary void and went off to the University of West Georgia with some of my friends and um, just had a very, very bad toxic lifestyle with that um, and, and to keep it short uh, I was pledging a fraternity and there was a pledge retreat that we had and did a lot of dumb stuff and ended up in a really bad car accident um, and as I was talking to the sheriff of Carrollton um, who's been there for I think 13 years he tells me to, to count my blessings and you know that you shouldn't be here right now and I remember staring off into the distance and clearly and really the only time it's ever happened to me like I could hear God speaking to me and through me um, the exact words of can you hear me now and I just remember breaking down into tears and what I always tell people is it was at that moment that even though I didn't know anything I just knew the basics I realized everything and I knew that I wasn't I, I wasn't um, desiring God and approaching God in the way that I should be which is a true relationship with him and um, because I've had to work hard for everything in my life, I've, I'm always someone who likes to be in control and in control. And God had to put me 50 yards into a, the woods with a... And there were people in the car with you, right? Three people in the car, yep. No seatbelts on, going 60 miles per hour. I fell asleep on the wheel. Um, and we went through a telephone pole. 
um, split it into multiple pieces and we're about 50 yards into the woods and there were these two trees that were the perfect distance um, as my car was going through that that stopped the car from going into the denser parts in the woods now if you've seen pictures of my car you know that we hit some trees we definitely hit a telephone pole um, but God was truly with us and, and saved us it, it was truly um, a, a miracle um, so that was a physical saving 100% you know and a and a heart change yeah it, it's the weirdest experience I've ever been uh, been through because I was unconscious when we hit on impact um, but I, I literally felt this presence over over us in the car that everything's gonna be okay like I knew I messed up but I, I just remember thinking I get goosebumps thinking about it that everything's gonna be okay and, and it was um, by, by the grace of God with that Roger got it so because I've always been so in like I, I, I'm the type of person who's always like to be in control because I know that um, everything that I've had to do was me working hard and this and that so if if I'm in control, I know I'll do what other people can, this and that. And God really had to humble me to a point of getting suspended from the University of West Georgia, totaling a car, almost killing myself and three people. Um, and there's no control in there. And the only thing I could do was surrender. And it was at that moment that I, I, I always say I truly realized everything without knowing anything. And it was that I needed this relationship with God and I can't do it on my own. Okay. So that uh, that accident was 2014. What has life kind of looked like uh, since then? So yeah, so I came back home, um, finished my my college career at CSU, and uh, as I came back home, I remember picking up the Bible and read it from, from cover to cover um, in six months, and the Word just transformed me because what I thought was this book of laws um, turned out to be a book of love and redemption and. Um, my desires changed and this book of laws weren't no, were no was no longer a book of laws but it's a book of what I want to do to, to uh, out of my love for God and what he did for me so um, with this new understanding and me putting my identity in sports in the past I, I wanted to get involved in sports ministry and to utilize the popularity of sports for the glory of God so a lot of things have happened doors have opened up and God's blessed me with this opportunity now with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes to where I'm able to um, help lead 10 counties in the West Central Georgia area and pour into these kids and to allow them to realize the, the freedom and the love and the redemption that comes into a relationship um, with Christ. Um, and it's such a great opportunity to utilize that platform um, to advance his kingdom. For you know, his isn't, it, isn't it funny how God is the ultimate of taking lemons and making lemonade out of it? hundred percent a hundred percent there's so many things that I've been through in my life at that very moment um, to where it's like there's nothing good that can come out of this and then guys just in the background saying you'll see soon um, and, and I have been able to see the fruits of what he's done in my life and I'm truly grateful truly blessed and words can't express that enough that's very very cool all right let's talk to a couple other folks uh, Jonathan uh, care story so uh, so we've got a couple of more folks that I want to kind of ask the same question uh, Lonnie Freeman first Marianne Saverson sitting over there but but I'll, I'll ask you the same question Lonnie that I asked uh, Jonathan and that is first give us a little bit of a backstory a little bit of where you know uh, of where you're coming where you're coming from and I guess where you've been uh, a snapshot of your life before Christ 
Um, if y'all don't know me, I'm Lonnie Freeman. I'm one of the elders here at Church on the Trail. Um, I grew up in the church. Can anybody identify? Yeah. Definitely grew up in the church until uh, I was, what, about 10-ish? About 10-ish or so. I hit my preteen high school years and uh, kind of ricocheted off a different direction. And um, I used the excuse of it's a fashion show and people are judging me and all this other stuff. Use that excuse, which does nothing but hurt me. Excuse for that was my veering off many many years. Mm -hmm. Yep, many years. Uh, anybody identify with that one? Church hurt, um, just just not cool. But I use it as an excuse as a crutch. Joined the army, the biggest frat frat party in the dang world, um, and took full advantage of it. The stuff that happened in the barracks makes Animal House look so tame. Um, just lived a life like that. Uh, uh, everything but the drugs, sex, rock and roll. You know, drinking, partying, all that stuff. Um, met my lovely wife, Patty. Uh, pulled me out of, um, started lining me up. You know, God starts, I, I would say before then, uh, one of the things I used um, an analogy for my life is quarter inch left or right, I would have been dead. There are so many things that happened to me, um, high school all the way through my Army career, where it was um, quarter inch left or right, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to y'all. Uh, Patty started lining me up, saying, hey, man, we're, we're, uh, we're going to church. You need to come with us and, and slowly get me back into it. Um, pretty much a train wreck, man. It was um, my, my life before uh, before being saved. But about the only way to describe that one is a, a train wreck. Didn't know it, though. Didn't know the dumpster fire going downhill. Didn't, didn't really realize it. Probably sitting on top of it going, woo. So how long were you in the, in the Army? Did you go in the Army when you were uh, 18? 19, yeah. 19. After I had two senior years because of. Poor decisions. <laughs> Y'all caught that, right? Two senior years. <laughs> I, lived, um, I grew up on the border of Mexico, and there's no drinking age in Mexico. So two senior years. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so how long were you in the Army? I was in the Army. I went the full 20 years. So and how long mean, when were you in when you met Patty? Me and Patty met. I was 10 years in, I believe, whenever me and Patty met. Where I was going with that, y'all, is he lived that lifestyle for, for a long time. Yeah, this yeah. wasn't a 10-month thing. It was no, a 10-year thing. No, no. It right, was, okay. <laughs> Okay. Going hard in the paint, man. All right. You know, tell us how, um, obviously, the Lord used Patty to play some role in all of that, which he does. You know, men are dumb, and I'm at the front of the dumb <laughs> line. I mean, I get that. And so, in God's sovereignty, he uses women to kind of help us out. Amen. So, but how did, uh, how did you come, ultimately, um, how did you come to, to faith in Christ? Well, backing up a little bit, I know my mom had been praying for me for years, so I know that had a lot to do with it. And then, um, Patty, of course, I'm sure she was too. And she kept nudging me back, you know, I'd be drifting off and she'd nudge me back. And, uh, when we had the, when we had the girls, you know, kind of got a, got a straight up fly, fly a little straighter. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit. We were here October 13, 2017. I thought I was taking my daughters to see Matthew West and, Walked out of there saved. <laughs> I thought, you know, walked in lost. Walked in lost, walked out saved. I thought I was doing something for my daughters, which ended up doing something eternally for me. But, yeah. So, would you say that you, those prior 10, 15 years before 2017, this is going to sound weird, y'all, but would you have said, if, if, if somebody said, you know, Lonnie, in the course of conversation, are you a Christian, would you have said yes? I may have said yes, but. Due to ignorance, I wasn't saved by any means. I mean, I'd been to church and I knew all the Bible stories because, like I said, I grew up in the church. And um, I wasn't saved, didn't know what saved was, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And uh, I might have said, you know, I would have definitely said I believed in God. But the Christian, a Christ follower like I, I 
know the definition of now, it would have been no, but I may have said I was at sure. that time. My sure. dog tag says Christian. You know, if that says anything. What did? My dog oh, tag. Oh, your dog tag. Mm -hmm. Okay. It didn't, it didn't say anything while it was a Christian. <laughs> okay. But. Okay. Um, so that happened in, in October 2017. So Correct. how old were you? Oh, shoot. Don't make me do math. In uh, in your 30, late, late 30s. 30s. <laughs> late yeah. 30s, yeah. So, yeah, okay. So that's a long, that's a long, I mean, I was um, 36, so I get it. I would say, and look this up if you don't know the song, Sound of a Life Changing by Matthew West. That was the defining moment right there. Uh, listen to that song when you leave here right now. It's awesome. But that, that kind of narrates what, I guess, what happened. And so that, it was, you know, in late 30s when, when ultimately God grabs a hold of your heart yep. and and you were saved, actually saved. Amen. And so look, you know, growing up in the church, he said it, <laughs> Jonathan said it, right? It's good to grow up in the church, right? Don't get me wrong. It's good to grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church, so it's a good thing. But growing up in the church does not equal I'm saved. Amen. It's not the way it works. Now, that thought is perpetuated though. Amen. And, Amen. and there's a great book. The name of the book is The Unsaved Christian. Y'all ought to get it and read it. It's an easy read, but it's a great book. So God grabs a hold of your heart in 2017. And then what does it kind of, what does it look, that's been four or five years ago. What does it look like? How has life looked since then? Still, I mean, compared to God, train wreck. Compared to God's glory, a train wreck for sure. Um, definitely not perfect. Definitely still slip. Um, I'm not a, I, I know I need him because I'm, I'm, it's messy. Um, like I said, it, I'm still a train wreck. I call myself a train wreck because I still am, you know, and I need him to save me. I'm not, I, I, I can't, I can't sit up and be prideful and think it's all me. It ain't me. It's none of it's me. It's, it's all him. Um, Seis de Mayo is when I got baptized here, 6th of May. Right I was going to say, no, I'll I think it was one of Jeff's, uh, Jeff's last one. I think Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's the one that actually dumped me. Oh, okay. I think I was one of his last. Uh-huh. And then uh, me, and, me and Elliot. But, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. But uh, since then, it's a, it's a it, heart transplant immediately. Uh, different lenses, the want-tos, the desires. You know, people talk about freedom. You know, whenever I was, before I was saved, I would say, yeah, Christians, they got all these rules to follow. That you know, I'd have to give up this, that, and the other. And um, the freedom is you don't, you don't desire to do those things anymore. You know, it's not. Well, you heard what Jonathan can. said. You, if y'all heard him, he kind of said the same thing you, that you said, that I, I, my, my want-to changed. You, you love God more than the sin. That's, that's where you love Jesus more than the sin. So, yeah, that, that's a huge. Okay. Huge. Cool. Thank you, sir. Um, y'all welcome. You know, and I, I, one of the things I want y'all to kind of get out of this too is don't, I will never say, nor do I, and I don't say it because I don't believe it. But I think it gets, it, it, this false message gets, uh, gets it, it's spewn out all the time that, Give your life to Christ, walk thou, walk thou, do whatever you would term that, and then life's going to be a bed of roses. That's neither scriptural nor is it reality. It's just, it's just not. I mean, although worldview changes, the way you look at things change, the way you look at trials and tribulations definitely changes, but life doesn't just become a bed of roses. And so if you ever hear me say anything that either implicitly or explicitly says that, Come tackle me or something or say something. So I want y'all, y'all welcome Marianne Severson. Hi, um, so I'd, I'll ask you or, or make the same statement or ask the question, and that would be 
uh, you know, give us a little backstory. Super interesting backstory, but give us a little backstory and, and Boy, what I'm life was. I'm a lot was. older, these guys, so my a story lot. goes a long way back. <laughs> but um, I was born in Brazil, and uh, we lived a very poor life there. And I was uh, six kids at that time. My mom didn't have the seventh yet. So my parents um, had a very difficult life, and my mom's older sister couldn't have kids. So she talked my parents into letting me live with them to give me a better life. I was eight years old. And uh, I went to live with them. And from the moment I got there, my life became a horror. It was an, a nightmare of several atrocities and abuse. It's hard for me to talk about it here because there's a lot of kids in the audience. But um, anyway, I went that lifestyle for about a year and a half. And um, Beginning at eight beginning at eight yeah, years okay. old, yes. And uh, it was very difficult because um, I couldn't talk about it, I couldn't say anything. When my mother would come to visit me, which would be maybe every two or three months, um, I knew that he would kill her if I said anything about it. So I just learned to hide it all inside me, but I also became a fighter. And at that very start part of my life, I was raised in a Catholic, in a Catholic home very Catholic mother, grandparents, Catholic church. And from that moment on, I just felt like God abandoned me. You know, he just wasn't there. He let all this happen. That's what I believed. And as I grew up, um, my parents were then trying to get to the United States. And uh, they were going to leave me there. And by the grace of God now today, I, I know that they let me come, come with them to the United States. But during that time, I thought, okay, well, all that is stopped now. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, I was very, very wrong. Because at that time, when I was around 10-ish, my aunt, my mother's younger sister, was going to move in with the same family. And I didn't want that, what happened to me, to happen to my little cousins. So that's when I went and told my parents. And that's when my nightmare really began. Because now I became, you know, people questioned, why did you let that happen? And so forth. So my feeling of worthlessness became a real big pattern in my life. Depression became a huge pattern in my life. And um, over the years, the Catholic Church let me down tremendously. I never ever really talked about much of what happened, but when I tried to, to a priest, it was, you know, you just have to leave it in God's hands and don't talk about it. Don't bring it up. Things like that. So now I've coming to my teenage years, and that's when I introduced myself to how to end my life. And I attempted it four times. And um, each time I just felt let down more and more by the people around me, by the, mostly the Catholic Church, because I turned to the church a lot. I used to go and light candles. You know, I don't know if any of you know what that is, but you know, you light candles and you pray to the saints and you ask for uh, for guidance and somehow it just never happened and I just kept feeling more and more I must be really bad there must be something really wrong with my with who I am for this to keep on happening and this whole time how old are you about that time now I'm about in my teens 17 okay. 18 so this old. whole time you still have and I want y'all need to hear this you still have in your head at least that God has forsaken you oh absolutely okay yes so yeah, I knew he did Right. In my heart at okay. that time, I did. And um, now I become a mother, 
and which was something I was told I would never have children. So by having my two boys, I actually had three pregnancies, but two, um, two of my boys survived. And that was just, um, an, a, to me, it was a miracle that I had kids. And um, growing up with them as being a parent, that gave me some hope in life that there was a purpose for me to be here. But now I got cervical cancer. I was uh, 20, 25, 26 years old, and I had to go do the surgery. But because it was a Catholic hospital, I had to go to the, uh, the, the priests in the church to ask for permission to have the surgery. And Do y'all get that? Because she was of childbearing age. And yes. Correct me if I'm yes. wrong when I say it. Yes. And so the hospital wouldn't do it. Right. They wouldn't do it because my purpose in life was to bear children. And by me having the uh, hysterectomy to get rid of the cervical cancer, I wouldn't bear children anymore. So I asked the priest, well. If you're dead, you can't bear children either. I'm sorry? If you're dead, you exactly. can't bear children either. And I asked them, I said, you know, well, what's going to happen to my boys if I'm not here? Well, God will provide. So that was their answers. And, you know, so my beginning of battling the church started at that, around that time. And um, then when my oldest son was ready for his first communion, because I did have the hysterectomy, the priest told me I was not going to be able to have first communion with him because of what I had done by having the surgery. And I told him, well, guess what? You don't give me communion up there with my son. You're going to have a crazy woman turn around and raise Cain in your church. So they gave me the first communion. And so my, <laughs> my life was battle after battle with the church. And depression was a huge factor in my life. I had to live two very separate personalities. One, the trying to be a good mom, trying to be a good wife. And the other, which was constantly drowning in depression. And um, continuing wanting to die, that was my constant companion, that somehow the people that I loved would be better off if I was not there. And one night, um, after I finally got divorced, because my marriage was a very abusive marriage, uh, took my car, went to a bar, got drunk, and I never really did things like that. Because growing up in my in Chicago, that's where I, where I grew up, I saw what drugs and alcohol did to my brothers, to my sister. I didn't want to go down that path. I felt that if anything, I owed it to my boys to be at least as normal as I possibly could. So one night I just got drunk, got in my car, and I went right into a pole. And for some reason, here I am. And I think that was probably the last time that I attempted something that bad. And then... Um, I just try to go get therapy. But again, with therapy, you know, you learn that you don't have to forgive, you don't have to forget, you know, and it's never, never about Christ in your life. And I just walked away from the church. I, I walked away from the church as early as I can remember when I was eight, nine years old. Sure. You know, I went because I had to, but I didn't believe. I believed in God. The Lord's Prayer was my staple. It was what I prayed every single day, and I do it to this day. And I believe that that somehow is how he, he, he would hear me. But did I really believe in it? Did I really believe in who God really was? I, I, I'm not so sure that I ever really did. So that's a pretty long backstory. Yeah. A, you know, that's 50, 60 years of, of preparation, right, somehow. So... How did it come about that uh, 
that you ended up saying yes to his offer, that you repented and that you said yes. And I know that forgiveness uh, played a major, major, obviously it does for all of us. Um, well, for me, 2019 was the pivotal point. My mother uh, had gone into hospice and my mother and I had a very volatile relationship over the years. I carried an awful immense amount of anger towards her for not protecting me. And when she became ill, and right before, prior to hospice, I was able to reconcile with my mom and forgive her, uh, you know, for, for, feeling, for the feelings of abandonment. And we found out very shortly um, at, at, in the summer of 2019 that we were moving to Columbus, Georgia. And at that time, Terry and I had been talking about finding a church. We needed to go back to church. Because you got to remember, I hadn't picked up a Bible since... I don't know. I really don't know the last time I picked up a Bible. I went to Catholic school, but we really didn't pick up a Bible. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, so the Bible was never any part of my life. And uh, so in 2019, we moved here. We met all of you. We came to the church. And then I started deciding right after the holidays that I really wanted to get into Bible studies. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to learn. And the more I dug in there, the more I read, the more angrier I got because everything kept coming back to forgiveness. That in order for me to be saved, for me to literally really believe in who Jesus Christ was, I had to forgive. Well, I wasn't about to. I was determined that if that's... You were not about to forgive the no, guy the person from who your did that childhood. To me, right. okay. I had forgiven a lot of other things, a lot of other people, but I could not forgive him. Because in my mind, forgiving him meant that I accepted what he did to me. So many Bible studies, and I got to tell you, there's a bunch of people in here that can attest to this. They put up with a lot of anger from me <laughs> because I just didn't want to believe that I had to do that. I couldn't believe that God again was letting me down, that once again, he was abandoning me, that he was, you know, that he was asking that of me in order for me to feel, to be a safe Christian. Mm -hmm. So how could he do this? And one night, um, can I go on with this? Yeah. So on January 6th, after another one of our classes. Of uh, this year. Of this year, yeah. 2021. It was a tough day for me. It was so hard. I couldn't do anything at home. I was upset. I was, I, I can I can put it into words. Because once again, it was all, the class that we were at was all talking about forgiveness. So I said, you know what, God, if this is what you want for me, then guess what? If I have to go to hell, that's what's going to happen. I'm not forgiving. Well, that night I went to bed at January 7, 1, 10 in the morning, and I will never forget this as long as I live. A voice came inside me, and it was my own voice, but I knew it was God talking to me because he just yelled out, or she yelled out at me, just forgive, forgive, forgive. It was that powerful to me. And I just sat up in bed, and I was just crying, and I just said, I forgive you. And when I said those words, it was like this huge gust of wind came right out of me. And I felt light as a feather. I felt so loved and so much just came inside me at that moment, you know, and I finally understood what God really, what it all meant for him to die on that cross for our sins. If he could go through what he went through at that time, what he, everything that he bared in pain and, and humiliation, degradation, how could I 
think that what I went through was that much greater than what he went through. And for me, that's what, my, that's what changed my life, that very moment. You know, it takes an understanding of forgiveness. That's just like part of the deal. And, you know, in, in your case, as horrific as, as that stuff was when you were a kid, I'm not minimizing it, you know I'm not. It pales in comparison to what happened outside of those walls of Jerusalem. It doesn't make, that, that doesn't mean it was not horrific and painful, it was. And it doesn't mean that it's easy to forgive. Y'all, I would never say that, you would not say that. But it's part of the deal. It's part of the deal for you. He'd been dead and gone for how long? Oh, since I was 14, 15 years right. old. Right, yeah. so that forgiveness mm -hmm was for you to let go of that. Right. Right. Um, it, it taught me that forgiving wasn't forgiving the act. It was me being able to just forgive that person and putting it in God's hands. Let God now take over. Let him do what he must. So, and, and that was a huge lesson. And it's so sad because if, you know, if I had listened, because over the years, I had a lot of Christian people bash me over the head, you know, to read the Bible, to give God a chance. And no, I, I did everything I was supposed to. I was a good person. I lived a, a decent life. I didn't do the drugs. I didn't do the alcohol. So, you know, no, I'm, I'm fine. But I really, really wasn't. Because sure. depression is, is a delibitates you. It, yeah. it cripples you. Right. It really does. So that was, that was just a few months ago. How have the last few months? Oh. It's been amazing. Um, for me, it has, I have become a certified um, trained volunteer at the Sexual Assault Support Center in Columbus. I love going there, being able to uh, be a force in helping women and men who are abused to help them, you know, cope and, and manage through interviews with the police, attorneys, um, just help them. And, you know, you don't judge. Everybody has a story. Everybody has a, a reason why they get to the point they do in their lives. I know that I could have been so many things. I could have gone down so many paths. And God did protect me. He was with me. He never did abandon me. So, uh, for me, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. I can't tell you that I haven't had spiritual warfare. I kind of have um, a few weeks back. Because now I just want to learn so much. And I want to, for me, the biggest thing is discerning. Discerning right from wrong. You know, and, and walking the right path. Sure. Well, all right, y'all. We appreciate y'all being up here and being so open. So open. You know, y'all, y'all can do it. Thanks, man. You know, one of the things that, uh, that, thanks, that permeates everybody's story permeates Marianne's, permeates Lonnie's, was all over Jonathan's. If you're a Christ follower, it's in yours. Is And I think Jonathan used the word redemption. God fixes broken stuff. You know, that's southernese for what redemption is. He, he, he makes things that are messed up right. He takes things that are broken and repairs them. Um, and And so he... Those are all stories of redemption. And, 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 you know, you heard one of them say about, about Scripture. 
it's a, I viewed it as a book of rules and regs and laws. And are there rules and regs and laws in that? Well, of course there are. Is it a book of that? No, it is a beautiful, redemptive history. And when I say that, and that's kind of theological sounding, y'all, but when I say redemptive history, it is a history of God's yearning for man's heart. And it's this story of him redeeming that along the way. And there's just hundreds of metaphors and examples, historical examples of God redeeming things. You know, you think that it's happenstance that Marianne runs into a, what did you run? Did you run into a telephone pole? That she runs into a telephone pole and is still here. You think it's just happenstance that Jonathan runs into a telephone pole, breaks it into three pieces, goes 50 yards into the wood without seatbelts on, and, and is still here. If y'all saw the car, his car, you would say there is absolutely no way anybody survived that. You think it's coincidence and happenstance and randomness that Lonnie lives like a thug for, love you, bro. That Lonnie lives like a thug from 18 to what, probably 28, 29, something like that, and is, and is not dead. You know, I mean, y'all, those, we don't serve a God of randomness. We don't. Now, all of those struggles, that's why I kept, if you noticed, I kept saying, well, how long did that last? You know, so it wasn't like, for him, it wasn't like that was a 10-month thugness. You know, it was a 10-year thugness. For me, it was 36 years, right? For, you know, Marianne, I'm not going to tell her age because I'm kind of scared of her. So... <laughs> But Marianne lived a lot of life before she came to Christ. But y'all, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, there's not a special place in heaven for people to get saved in the first 20 years of their life. And this, this uh, a, little, a little further back in the classroom is the people that get saved in the, their 20s and 30s. And then, well, you got to go to the back of the room if you're saved in the 50s. No, it doesn't make any difference. It's all throughout scripture. It doesn't make any difference. And so just, I just want us to know when life, a life changes, it's unbelievable. Oh. And when I say it's the greatest miracle, like it's, it, it is, it's just, a, and he has a purpose for you. And do you know that purpose when you're 15? Probably not. Do you know it when you're, tw probably not. Do you know, I didn't know it till I was 36. You know, do you know it when you, you just probably don't. But here's what you can trust. Marianne believed a lie for 50 years that God had forsaken her. Never, never. He will never forsake you. And you can be in what feels like the pit of absolute hell. He will never forsake you. And you will be in the midst of trials and you will go through depression. You can go through anxiety. You can go through just horrible that he will never, ever, ever, ever forsake you. Tell the devil to get the hell away when he gets in your ear and tells you that God that you profess belief in has left the building. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. So again, the miracle of a changed life, man, the miracle of a changed life. And that's available to us right now. I mean, it is available right now. It's a, you know, it's as simple as turning away from the sin, turning towards Him, confessing with your mouth that He is the Lord, that He did pay a, 
pay a price on that cross. And there was total, absolute forgiveness. And then he walks out of that grave alive. If that's you today and you do believe that, I'm not even going to say, I'm going to say, don't go to bed tonight without making a, without considering that offer. Just don't go to bed tonight. If you're not a Christ follower, just think about it, pray on it, look at his word and consider the offer. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for being a heart changing God. That you, that, that you have the ability to just, at the end of the day, live inside of us and, and just give us a new, a new perspective on life. Lord, a new heart, new lenses to look at the world through. And so, Lord, I do believe that, and I do repent of my sin, and I do turn towards you, and I do believe that you died on that cross. And I do believe that you walked out of the grave. And so, Lord, save me right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if, if that is you, we've got somebody on our prayer team back there in the back. And, and if that's you, go back there and talk with them. Or I'll be out there. Come talk to me or talk to somebody. Turn it back over to y'all.